0: Welcome back to the Sparks Wagoning Podcast. I'm Phil Rose, your host, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Jonathan Mond. I first met Jonathan in Dallas, Texas, only a month ago when I was there for our Scaling Up Summit. The one thing I learned about Jonathan is he's an accountant with a difference. He brings cash flow to life. He brings a story to life using a product called Cashflow Story and the Power of One. Some of the things he taught me are things I should have known 20 years ago, but I didn't. But actually, the key bit is actually how you can use cash flow to enhance your valuation of your business by learning what the customers really want. So listen as you go for this story about what does it means to you? What do your customers really buy from you? How much are they willing to pay for your product? And it all comes down to service. How do you serve them better? How do you get a better team that can deliver that service for you, which benefits the customer Actually, there's lots of things you can do. And this is where Jonathan talks about the levers you can pull in your business. So listen out, hear what you hear, do what you do, and come back to me if you have comments or questions, because I'd love to get Jonathan back on this podcast again to answer questions specifically about cash flow and how you can make your money work harder so you can use your cash to grow your business long-term. Welcome to Jonathan Mond. Uh, And it's probably six o'clock, seven o'clock in the evening for you, I'm guessing, is it, Jonathan?
1: That is Phil. Thank you for having me. It's seven o'clock here. It's, it's winter, of course. You guys are in summer.
0: We are indeed. Um, we are. We,
1: we, we, we actually don't mind that every four years. We love it to hop on the couch at night and watch the ashes and watch us. <laughs> the guys. But uh, no, no, that's correct. It's winter here, seven o'clock at night, very dark.
0: I love it, and, love it. Well, at least, at least in England, we actually had a good Test match this weekend. You we, had a good win over New Zealand, yeah. Exactly, we did well for that one. And of course, we've just celebrated the uh, the, the Platinum Jubilee of the Queen's. We've had four days off. So we've had a, a long bank holiday weekend of Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I'm coming back into this in a jaded form, having had plenty of time to uh, eat, drink, and be merry, and do the things that need to be done, which is always good. So it's nice to nice to hit the ground running on a Monday morning. And Jonathan, we've got a lot of things we're going to talk about today. Um, and, you know, a lot of this is going to be around scaling up and, and scaling up cash, which we'll dive into now. But I'd love to find a bit more before. Jonathan, how do you describe yourself as a coach?
1: Ah, me. All right. Well, let me, let me give you a little bit of an intro. So I've got an accounting background and I've been a CFO or a finance manager, whatever way you want to describe it, for small business, small to medium-sized businesses for the last 20 odd years. And I was either working, you know, once a week, once a fortnight, once a month, making sure that the finance side of a business was up to date and presentable. And then I presented all the reports, of course, at board level and joined in the board meetings and presented the information. But um, a very, very good friend of mine, Alan Miltz, who you know very well through Scaling Up, um, I've known Alan for 20 odd years, said to me, Jonathan, you're doing a great job because I've done some work with him, but you can go to the next level. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, Do you wanna present the data or do you wanna actually present the data and and give the solutions on how to fix it? And so he said, doing that, you're gonna go to the next level. And um, I really took that on board. And so we went home that night, well, I went home that night and and looked up MBAs and, and basically signed up for an MBA immediately. And Alan couldn't believe it, how quickly I'd done it and did an MBA. And just as I completed my MBA, Alan had mentioned to me that he got invited to write for a book. There was a new book coming out and he was asked to contribute to the final chapter under the title of Cash, which was Scaling Up. And he had just experienced, he'd met Vern at a, he'd spoke at a, um, a conference and um, Vern was there and Vern goes, this is the missing piece, what you're talking about. And so Alan got invited to, to contribute to the book and said to me, I've just joined, I've been part of this organisation from a, from a, as a um, expert speaker. And this looks unbelievable, and so I think this is what I would do if I were you. I'd actually go and join Scaling Up, do their training, you go across to the states for a bit as well, um, meet the other coaches, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and become certified and um, become part of this group. And so that's my journey to Scaling Up thus far, and and uh, who I am from that perspective.
0: I, I love that. So actually, so so the, the real bit I hear there is, you know, an accounting and CFO finance managers. So you've, you've been there and done it. You've got that background. And then you were enough to do the MBA. And now you've come in as a coach. So so in your previous life, before you're a coach, you were actually doing what you're talking about now in a business, helping people make sense of the numbers. And I think that's what you said there. But you know, Yeah, making account. sense of numbers. Exactly, exactly. Yeah.
1: I love so that. So it's interesting when I go into a business now that the first thing that comes to mind are your numbers up to date. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, our numbers are our number, our first first point of call when it comes to a scorecard, doesn't it? You know, the, the scoreboard. So, you know, if you said to me, Phil, how do we judge our performances as a whole? Well, one great way to do it is to have a look at the score, you know, yeah. from year one to year two to year three. Yeah. And so if your finances are not right, then one, you can't see how you're going. Two, you can't make appropriate strategic decisions.
0: Yeah.
1: And three, you'll never know, you know, particularly around that cash model, like. You need cash to grow and, and to move forward. It's the oxygen of a business. So yeah. when there's no clarity around that, you can find yourself in a lot of trouble.
0: Yeah. And I think this is it's interesting actually. And I just just picking up what you mentioned about, you know, you have to have the score. You know, we, we joked about cricket. And I, I must, admit, I'm not a big cricket follower, I don't like your Aussies, you know, who, who love know. your cricket. <laughs> but I but I love rugby. And the one thing we always talk about is, you know, I always know what the score is. If I'm sitting up a rugby game, is I know how long to play. And I know what the score is. I know what the opposing team's doing. And I think the the key here is you mentioned score. And I think in business, often people forget about that, that they need to understand and track their own score all the time. And the key to doing that is either through the KPIs you've got on your business or and or it's just having that knowledge of where you are in your business from a cash point of view and a financial point of view. But the key is a lot of people don't think about cash, do they? I think we often talk about, you know, we talk about the difference between profit and revenue, but people forget that cash is the life in the business. So you've got to have that there. Oh, it's dead.
1: Huge, huge difference. And that's probably my number one thing to do. And, you know, you walk into a room, I always say walk into a room of hundred people and ask them to have a look at a profit and loss. 99 out of the hundred will go, will understand that it's good or bad straight away. So, you know, I, I believe it's, yeah, it's it, the cash side, they don't get, and that's important. People think you make $100,000 profit, make $200,000 profit. Oh, you're rich, you've got cash. doesn't mean anything. There's another story in there, and there's a whole lot of variables that contribute to the overall cash of the business.
0: So what, what is it that stops people looking at numbers? Because I, I go back to my MBA, which was, um, when I look at actually it was 20, 22 years ago I started my MBA. Um, <laughs> and, and, and as an engineer... I loved engineering, I loved technical things, I was good at strategy, I was good at vision, but the bits I never did was cash, because in the big business, I used to work for Rolls-Royce um, as an organisation, and we never had to think about numbers at that stage, at the level I was at, it was all about, you know, understanding the product, so when I did my MBA, it was a shock to me to suddenly start learning about the accounting side of the businesses, and I remember doing a, a presentation, and I was elected to be FD of this fictional business as part of my MBA project, and uh, the the, the the uh, finance lecturer, Steve Seymour, who actually I think believe is still at Ashridge at this moment, um, twenty two years later. Steve said he'd never seen anybody present from an FD perspective a presentation about the business without presenting any numbers, because I was I was avoiding the numbers. I knew how to do it, but I avoided them. So I wonder what is it that stops people? What is it? Yeah, look, I think I, I just think some people
1: just uh, don't like numbers. Some, a lot of people, some, some a lot don't, and more importantly there doesn't seem a lot of respect around them. And so you, you, it's such a challenge on a number of levels. One, people don't enjoy them, don't understand them and avoid them. Two, a lot of senior business owners, or let's use the word owners, hide their numbers from their teams at time, And that has its own problems in itself because one, as I said to you, they obviously are scared of them, but two, there's a lack of understanding. So that lack of understanding actually makes it even worse because that employees think the boss is making a lot more money than he actually is. And that's a terrible space to be in when it comes to culture. So, and then finally, that scoreboard scorecard piece is how do you push people towards an improvement? Because the one thing I try and train everybody in is everybody in the business can influence the numbers, the cash and profit at any one point in time. And it's a big piece. And it's a part of that is also cash flow story, which we'll talk about probably a bit later. But it's so important that everyone understands the impact they have on the business. And everyone does. And when I sit them down and explain it, they go, oh, wow, I didn't realise. And so I can give you a great example. I was asked to do a presentation to a company um, recently, and the two owners, the father and the son, were in there. And as I went through the report, and Cashflow Story is, a, is a, a real health report as well. It's like going to the doctor and getting a health report on how you're going. And he um, stopped me halfway through and said, "No, nah, you've got to bring everyone in. This is so powerful. This is everything that's wrong with my business is what you're showing me. Everything's right when it comes to selling and making products mm-hmm. and putting it out there, but why is there no money in the bank? And, It was the breakthrough moment for him that said, I need the whole team in here to understand
0: the key KPIs that are driving the cash of the business. So just go back a bit, you mentioned just say you said that everyone needs to understand how they influence the numbers because I think that links to that as well. So, so how do you get people to recognize where they and how they interact with the numbers? Because you know, if I'm if I'm out selling something, I can see that show, I can sell it, I can sell something for X dollars uh, and, and get the revenue back in, you know, as a as a coach, I can go out and sell my services to people. Um, but if you're in a in another business, say a manufacturing business, we can say, okay, every widget we sell is selling for a certain number of pounds or dollars, whatever you're selling in. Um, but how do you get people to recognise that they have an influence on the numbers? Okay,
1: and it's really simple. It's called financial excellence.
0: Okay, tell me more. What what
1: I do and all coaches in Scaling Up, and remember, Cashflow Story is is a software piece that's available exclusively to SU coaches, the Scaling Up coaches, and it's a huge differential in our space to be able to walk in and teach financial excellence to our clients makes such a big difference. And so you're probably thinking, what's financial excellence? So in a traditional business, we have what we call a three-way reporting. We've got our profit and loss, our balance sheet, and we've got our cash flow. And that gives us a bit of a look of what the company looks like. But what's missing is what I say is the next level is the financial excellence part. So the first part is the power of one. And we'll talk about that shortly. But power of one introduces relationships it shows that the financial relationships within a business. Should I be putting my price up or selling more? What impact does one day have on my cash at bank? What impact does one percent have on my cash when it comes to a uh, cash and profit? When it comes to some of the other levers and drivers, and financial excellence also keeps. Answers the question, where is my money? How many times have I seen companies that say they've made 200, 300, 300 400,000, but I've got no money in the bank? Where has it gone? It brings to the table the concept of growing broke. And so, what's growing broke? Growing broke is when we analyze working capital needs versus our profit. And we look, when we take a number if we, if we want to grow by $100 and we compare the working capital needs with the profit and there's normally a gap. So there's the gap nine out of 10 times in the negative and that gap in the negative, and we'll go through this shortly, will be the money, the, the, the cash that you require to have that extra bit of growth. And then finally, and this is the mo- probably the most powerful if a boss doesn't want to go through his financials with the full team. And that's what I call the working capital timeline. And what we do is we work out how long does it take for $1 when it leaves the business in the form of an expense-purchase dash um, purchase of inventory into selling, into the money being banked. How long does that take for a business? Now, that there alone is a single KPI that I can introduce to any company in the world and I can bring everybody together around that and say, what impact can you have with that? And so that I feel that if you've got two choices with financials, you can reveal them, which is great. And that's really powerful. And then you've got, if you don't want to do that, then you go with the working capital timeline. So that's a great little KPI. We're currently running at 90 days. A dollar leaves the business, comes back at day 90. We need to pull that back to 60. So where am I getting all these numbers from? Where am I getting the working capital timeline? What is the power of one? Let's go through this a bit more.
0: Yeah, because I think there's a, there's a question there, because, you know, going back to my MBA days here, you know, looking at working capital, you know, there were, there were simple formulas around that. Yeah, absolutely. Capital, so just, yeah, just explain what working capital is. because yeah, so I'm about to my do my this. So what is it?
1: Let, let, let me go through the, the, um, the KPIs that I use, and then I'll explain working capital. So the first thing within any set of financials are seven drivers. There's seven levers that any business can pull on and move around that will have an impact on the cash in the business beyond that the first four of those actually impact the profit as well and so and we measure those in percentages so let's start with i can influence my price i can influence my volume i can influence the cost of goods sold and i can influence the expenses within a business and In in influence, I can say, let's increase price by 1% or let's increase volume by 1%. Let's decrease cost of goods sold. Let's decrease or increase expenses. And with that, using cash flow story, which I've mentioned, that will tell me the impact of one of those, that 1% movement on cash and profit at any one point in time. So the first thing from there under financial excellence, and I'll get to working capital in a sec, is walking into a sales team meeting and explaining to the sales staff, hey, we've just worked out that if we increase sales, we actually might go negative on our cash because we're burning through cash quicker through because of um, the cash needs in producing a sale. But yeah. if you put your price up, we're actually going to make cash. So you tell this to the sales team and they're like, well, no, I, I don't want to put the price up. I'm going to lose people. Yeah. So
0: scared of it. That's what, that's yeah what everyone's scared of it. really, really
1: scared of that. So to understand that relationship is important. And then it's up to me as a scaling up coach to explain how we can put the price up and the things that we can do to make that physically happen. And so that's part one. Part two is what I call leaky buckets. One of the first questions I ask any business is, what's your opening margin? want? What do you want it to be? What are you striving for? So we look for, let's say the business wants 20%. But their final margin, after all markdowns and and stock losses and breakages, etc., ends up at 15%. So they've lost 5%. I call that leaky buckets. So the team needs to understand if they've lost 5%, 5% and we know what the value of 1% is. As I said, we measure in 1%. So let's say it's $30,000 is 1%. Yeah, um, of call it, for simplicity, we'll just call it 30,000 on profit, 30,000 on cash. If we're losing 5%, then we're losing 150,000 profit and 150 cash. And the team suddenly wakes up and goes, wow, I didn't know how strong that was. And suddenly I've got the whole room thinking about how we can fix cost of good sold, how we can, what I say, plug those leaky buckets. And before you know it, it's already into some quarterly rocks and ideas around what we can do for the next quarter to improve things. And so... Then you've got the bottom three, and that is your AR accounts receivable, stock dash work in progress or inventory, and your accounts payable. This is what we call our working capital. So if I take our um, accounts receivable together with our our, um, inventory, and this is the part we've paid for, okay, we're using our own cash to support that. And then I can use some of the cash of the accounts payable. That's what we owe people for. We get this formula. So we get AR plus inventory minus AP gives us our working capital needs. So just add, So,
0: so accounts receivable, this is the money that people owe me. Yes. The inventory is the stock we've got or the work in progress. And then yeah. the accounts payable is what I owe other people. Simple as that. That's right. That's a little bit of our
1: bank. So we can use some of our bank. So we're buying, let's say, raw materials on credit. We get 60 days. We'd need 30 days to turn it around in our factory hopefully we get paid in 30 days what is perfectly balanced in and out and so but we don't get that you know that doesn't happen in real life so we need to understand that and as companies grow you require more working capital unless you've got this incredible ability to to rein it in and that's what we try and train because we're measuring in days so let's say for instance let's say for instance we've got 30 days on our receivables 30 days on our stock and 60 days on our payables. So 30 plus 30 minus 60, we've got that zero. We don't need, you know, we're good. That's that's a good space to be in, but it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. We see so much, so many days, which equate to dollars. And before you know it, you've got this balance sheet sitting there with heaps of money owed, heaps of money sitting in stock. And my profit says I've made 200,000. I've got no money in the bank. Where is it? It's sitting in working capital. It's sitting in the working capital. And this is incredible. This is some big financial excellence. This is when you're taking your team from reading a, a, a P&L into understanding the cash journey in a business and why there doesn't seem to be money at any one point in time. So you asked me this question before around um, um, working. Uh, well, growth. You know, where are we at with growth? And this is another aspect of this. And so working capital to measure the needs of your growth because because growth sucks cash. So let's assume, yeah, let's assume we want to grow by $100. And so $100, and we can make out of that $100, we make $9 of profit. Yeah, that's all good. Most people would understand that. Put in whatever it works out. There's $91 of costs, whatever way you look at it, through cogs and expenses, and we're left with $9. So it's a 9%. But on the other side, we've got our working capital. We've got to bring in the stock. We're going to give credit. We're going to get some credit. But on a normal company, we might say, you know what? We're at um, 20 odd days for receivables. We're at 25 for for inventory. So that's up to 55, sorry, 45. Let's use some days. Let's use the bank or other, other suppliers as our bank. So we're at 45, let's say there are 20 days that we get from them. Now we're back to 25 days. So now I've got well, 25, sorry, 25, apologies, we use days, but it should be dollars per 100. So I've got 25 per, $25 per 100 versus a $9 profit we're making, guess what? We're $16 short per 100 on our capital, working capital needs to grow the business by $100. And so, that's probably, and it's such an easy formula, an easy thing to work out, particularly through cash flow Story represents it. When you can explain that to the team, when you can get all these days aligned in their, in their mind together with what the growth was required, all of a sudden you have this, uh, uh, you're aligned. Your team's now starting to understand financially where the company's at and where it's going. So the key is
0: just if I just jump in that okay, case so just to just clarify that case. Okay, so so on this case here, if we want to grow the company by 100, we know that our profit margin is nine percent. Therefore, we're going to make 9%, nine nine dollars per nine dollars per 100, Yep. But then we also know that we've got to have an element where we, we're getting credit and we're giving credit because we're going that's we're right. getting credit from our suppliers, but we're also giving credit because we're not we're not sending our invoices out for 30 days or whatever, whatever period it is. So your formula there is. 20 days on accounts receivable because we've got credited there. We've then got 25 days on inventory because we're not having to pay out for our inventory. So we've got work in progress, which is that's only it's taking us to produce the product. We're then taking off the the accounts payable, which is where we are owing people money. We're allowing us 12, 20 days credit, which leaves us 25. So 20 plus 25 minus 20 gives us 25. You said something there, you said $25 per hundred. Because that's, that's how you right. Produce a hundred dollars worth of goods. It's costing us twenty five. A hundred dollars worth of
1: sales. Sales, not goods. Sales.
0: Okay. So we've got
1: sales okay. on one side. We've got the profit. We've got the working capital needs. So what we're now comparing is profit versus cash. Yeah. So now we know we need twenty five dollars of cash for every hundred. We're only making nine dollars profit.
0: I got it. Okay. The gap of sixteen dollars
1: per hundred is the funding we require. From a simple, arithmetic perspective, we want to grow by a million dollars. Let's
0: make sure we've got $160,000 of cash available. Right, nice. okay. So that's the bit I think we just key, because this is when we talk about growth-sucking cash, because actually that's if you it, haven't right got that there. 160, your business is not going to be able to grow, and therefore you're going to grow broke.
1: Well, you might grow. Before you know it, you might run, and you might run out of money at the same time.
0: Yeah, okay. And okay. So this is
1: where someone says, but you were profitable you were making money but mm. you didn't understand the cash needs of your business
0: yeah okay so so and, so, and you know you know was I was doing. called
1: up I I presented at um at, at our um summit in Dallas where I got up and spoke about this and said I had a a client that I went in
0: mm.
1: I did a full review and we discovered that their working capital needs were way beyond their profit yeah okay and so what did we do to fix it we basically said no growth for the quarter. Okay. We set the rocks around improving. Remember, we measure in days, so we started saying let's let's start improving the days. So, which is ultimately our cycle from dollar in, dollar out, our timeline cycle. We need to improve that.
0: Yeah. And
1: what we discovered in that session was one, there was no reason for this to happen. This days blowout, and it happened because invoices weren't done properly. So people at the other end didn't know how to process them on their system, so they weren't yeah. getting paid. Yeah, Too much stock was being held. And ultimately, what was worse was as a result of not having the cash, it was pushing out their um, accounts payable, which in some cases, it's, oh, great, it's taking longer to pay. Mm -hmm.
0: But it was killing their
1: reputation. It was hurting their reputation.
0: Interesting. And so
1: all that was aligned to such a nightmare, even though they were making profit. So we stopped, we held them. We said the quarter objective is to pull your working capital needs right back Per hundred, yeah. then we can start exploring the growth. Yeah. They actually put resources into the accounts department. They smashed out new processes around um, invoicing, how it's getting done, removing laziness, kept people accountable. Yeah, and before you know it, by the time we came back, they'd halved their working capital needs in the space of three months.
0: Well, wow. so, so we did- were comfortable. And the key bit there you mentioned about quarterly quarterly objectives, because we often talk in scale about, you know, having the rocks. And we, we talk about, you know, what are your key rocks you work on? So what you've done there is you've set them some rocks. And for those people who haven't heard the, the language before, rocks is around having uh, some key things you focus on. It comes from Stephen Covey's work about putting the rocks in the glass first, about what are the key things you need to do first and foremost, to drive anything forwards, whether it's in your life, your personal life, or your business life, because those rocks are things you focus on. So what you're saying, Jonathan, is that they put some clear rocks in their glass for quarterly things about reducing their days to get cash in, because that meant they could get their working capital down. Therefore, they can actually grow quicker because they've got more money in the bank and less working capital needs to do so.
1: I'll I'll interrupt you and say you use the word cash in. I'm gonna throw in, that's only part one, part two obviously it was the stock. They had to improve their stock holdings. Yeah. They had okay. to move their either either A yeah. move the dead stock or B take do an analysis of where their stock was at so they could stop ordering over the potentially yeah. ordering the same thing twice. So it, it okay. was an effort in the stock. So they allocated a stock person to start really honing in on that and then honing in on improving their process of sending yeah. invoices. So okay. remember? AR, plus, stock, minus. So if you've got all those three categories.
0: Yeah. And, and, and here, you know, from a non-financial perspective, this is music to me is because actually what you're saying is here's some of the levers you can pull. And here's translating that those numbers into something you can do realistically. So people can identify specific things they can do to improve their cash flow just by looking at the numbers specifically. So you've now got some, some focus on that because actually there's no point trying to grow if you're actually reducing your, your um, profit margins and you're reducing your cash at bank because actually that's gonna damage you long-term. So you're putting these things in first, which but, I love, so it's actually making some clear and that's, and that, drivers.
1: And it's funny you say that because that's absolutely correct. But there's another aspect to this. And that is as we're working our power of one, so we determine that a price volume, price versus volume is a much better way to go And you improve your profit with some of these little tiny tweaks along the way you're improving the valuation of the business so from a business owner's perspective let's let's explore that a little bit more so and this is what i think i bring to a company through all this through cash flow analysis and the power of one and financial excellence i actually think someone says well what do you do jonathan i actually help companies grow their valuation so let's say, let's, let's do some basic numbers. Um, the company's making a million dollars profit. We're gonna go on three times to get a valuation. Let's go on three times um, profit, which is $3 million. So we're sitting on $3 million as the valuation of the company. Let's say I come in, I hold a session with the team. We go through the power of one. We understand the levers to, that drive the financials. We also understand the levers that drive profit. We've spoken about cash. Let's talk about profit. And suddenly I found that if I improve my prices by 2%, fictitiously make up some number here, that profit goes up by $150,000. And bearing in mind, let's fix some of the leaky buckets so that profit went up again by another 50, we've got $200,000 worth of additional profits. Yeah, all of a sudden through those minor tweaks and conversation pieces and strategy discussions, we've gone from one point one million million to 1.2, we were at 1 million times three, which is 3 million. Now, suddenly we're at 3.6 million on the valuation. That has to be music to your, any owner's ears to say, come in Jonathan and do a session with me. And you're telling me that not only will you help me improve my cash, you'll actually improve the valuation of my business as well. It's such an easy thing to do when, and, and this is one of the reasons why we, you know, I went into scaling up because what are those things that we can fix? So it's really easy for me to turn around and go put your prices up. And at, at the first point it is, I can promise you it is, particularly in this environment at the moment, you should be able to put up one or, two, one, one or 2%, it shouldn't be a drama. But how do you go the long-term? And this is, this is what SU coaches bring to the table. And we obviously work through the three decisions, but my biggest absolute impact is in the strategy side. If you recall, if you know, you know, strategy is top line. That's our sales. That's how we describe it. How are we going to improve our sales? And we can do it through the price. So let's improve our price. But we're only going to aim for 10%. Okay, how do we do that? And that is a session on its own where we go into a massive deep dive into the
0: customer. Yeah. Okay. This is the key bit, but isn't it? This is the key. So Phil,
1: I'm just trying to think. I'm not 100% familiar with your cars, but... Is it? Have you got Opel and you've got Opel?
0: No, we've we've yeah. we've still got Vauxhall over here.
1: All right, Vauxhall and Mercedes. Yeah. So Vauxhall, you could buy a Vauxhall car, and I'm pulling some numbers here: uh, twenty thousand pounds and a Mercedes at forty thousand pounds. Okay. Yeah. Why is someone paying an additional twenty thousand pounds? Why they're just going from home to work, back to home, or home to a couple of clients, drive around, and come home. Why are they paying that?
0: Yeah, and they do something.
1: In, There's something going on in their head that says, I want to drive a Mercedes. I have an emotional attachment. What we do and what I strive for is to find the emotional attachment. And this is far beyond the product or service that you're selling. You've got to understand as a company why someone will come to you and pay more for your service or product ahead of someone else. So that for me is the big strategy piece that we've got to get into Understand and work. So, and so once we understand that.
0: And there's a bit here, isn't it? Because I think this is the key, part, isn't it? Because as you say, we always thought strategy, execution, people, and cash. So what we're saying is we start off looking at the cash. We say, okay, here, this is what we can drive. This is the outcome of all this work. And it's the yeah. outcome because if you get the strategy right up front, you understand lots of things about what your purpose is and what your values are. But the key bit is where do you focus your market? Who are your core customers? And the bit you're saying there is, what do your customers want? Because taking your Vauxhall versus, versus uh, Mercedes customers, I, I work with a luxury car, a sports car brand at the moment. It's one of my key clients. Uh, and I look at the, the pulling power of that brand. It's an aspirational brand that the average age of their customers in the past was a 55 year old and it was a 55 year old man but actually what they found is they they found there's a lot more people younger people and a lot more women want to drive these cars because they want to be seen in those cars as well it's an it's a german engineering piece that people love but the key there is that aspiration that emotional attachment because people want to be sitting behind the wheel of their car saying i'm a driver of this model versus this model and i think that's the key but it's this it, this rea- realisation of why people buy something in the first place. And that's the bit we've got to dive into.
1: It's the emotional side. So you have a, you have, yours is aspirational. There are many other reasons why someone it's Convenience, reliability, there's a number of reasons why. And what you need to do is understand. And when you do understand, funny enough, all of a sudden your product literally becomes a little bit secondary. It's what you're doing for the customer that makes all the difference. I've seen companies that sell products that ultimately become transport and logistics companies. Why? Because it absolutely understood the client so well that it's all about getting something on time. So their energy is, the product's the easy part. We've got to get it to them before 11 o'clock the next day. How are we going to develop that process? And when you start getting there on that level, then price becomes irrelevant. And when price is irrelevant, that's when you're pushing the top line, and your
0: valuation is going through the roof. I love that. So, so what we've done, we've we've come full circle, is not it? Because we said about you know improving valuation, we talked about the cash relevance, and, and your simple formula is, you know, if I can increase your price by two percent, and let's just say that brings your your um, profit up by up to one point two million, which gives you a valuation of three point six. So actually, I've gone from a three million valuation to a three point six valuation. So I've added six hundred thousand onto yeah. my valuation of a business for a small percentage increase but the key bit is what you're saying there is one element element is understanding what the customer's buying in the first place because then you can understand their propensity to want to buy your products in the first place because do that work? Exactly. Why, what do they want from you why do they want this product over that
1: spot oh, on and what there's a great book out there one of my favorite um delivering happiness by the story of zappos and i don't know and zappos is a shoes is an online shoe store in the united states Anyone can open a shoe store. It's not that hard. Then you can do it, open a website, have some stock, off you go. But the guy that started or bought into it, I should say, Tony Shea, he knew that. He said, anyone can do it. So what's my competitive advantage? What am I gonna do that separates me from every other shoe store in America? Or well, online shoe, it could be a shoe store. It could probably was competing against shoe stores as well by the stage. And so he took this business from zero to 1.08 billion in eight years. And what he did was he realised it was about customer service. It was about delivery before I could order something at 8 o'clock in the morning, 9 o'clock in the morning because I've got to go to a, a dinner or a ball or something that night. I want them at my desk at work by 5. And so he went on this part. It's all about customer service. So when you think about that, we've got the people and culture. You've got to develop You've got to develop the execution side, which is the logistics. It's not about shoes anymore. It becomes a logistics. You need to have, I mentioned people and culture, you need to have the right people on the telephone listening to either A, the complaints or the needs of the customer and taking it seriously. And Tony in the book talks about some very funny customer service stories, which I don't need to go into today, but it emphasised the style and type of person that he Um, Employed, which again goes into what sort of interview questions did he go through, what was the process of bringing them on, the induction, the everything. He built this system around the customer needs. And he knew that if he could separate himself, whatever it was, in any case customer service, then he would excel and go forward. Hence how he got his billion dollar valuation and price, the, shoe, the price of the shoes were, and the shoes were insignificant in the end.
0: Yeah. Because actually people wanted that product and they wanted, a service they wanted that service. wanted it. I don't have time.
1: Yeah. I don't have time to run off to uh, Foot Locker and, and grab my, those, those new sneakers for tonight's big one, yeah. you know, Yeah. that get it, it to my desk by five. I'll pay you another 20 bucks. Just make it happen for me.
0: And, and I think there's, there's a big story in that, isn't it? It's that emotional stuff because people now you're tapping into it. So it comes back to that, that difference between the, the Opel and the Mercedes. People want to buy the Mercedes for some reason. Yep. But they might still want to buy the Opel because it just gets them A to B. That's all they need their car for. But it's understanding mm. what the job is of the product that that's people right. are paying for. And that's, I think, the big piece there. So, so we've gone from this cash flow, we've got the strategy now, and actually a bit mapping our journey as to why companies actually need to talk about these things because most people just think I'm selling a product and they don't think of all the implications selling that product until it's too late because they're trying to grow and they haven't got the cash to do it so there's a there's a nice thing there so I just want to circle back at you talked about you know um, you talked about the, the, the seven levers and you talked earlier about um pr- price volume cost of goods sold and expenses so we can understand that because that's the thing that impacts your profit so we can increase price um we could that that might have an impact on volume because people might not might not want to buy the product at that price so I'm I'm always laughing about this now. You know, all of us who've subscribed to Netflix or Disney Plus or Amazon Prime over the last few years, and I, I, everyone will have noticed their bills will have gone up over the last few months because actually they did an amazing job. They 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 slowly brought the price up, and I don't know what we. In fact, I actually don't know what I pay for Netflix anymore. The price has gone up. I need to go back and check. And I don't know what I'm paying for my. I, I know my Amazon. I don't Prime know what I'm paying for, for any of them. We don't. <laughs> So, not so, and, for them. <laughs> yeah, and some people will analyze the bills and will have dropped off, but they know that for every percentage increase, they're keeping customers, but actually, they're also making more money on it. And they're relying on customers that, like me who aren't checking the bill on a regular basis. Now, here's the rub, though. There's a lot of talk about austerity measures coming in in the UK. We've got potential for a Now, my view is you can talk yourself into a recession. You can talk yourself out of a recession. So let's not go there at the moment. But for a lot of people, they're just seeing the bottom line. Hey, it's going to cost me more for my Netflix. I put the price up. So Netflix will lose some percentage of customers, but they know also by putting that price up, they're going to gain more margin and therefore they can afford to lose a certain amount of their volume at any point in time. And that's the key that I want to come to, because they don't worry so much about how many they lose. They will really get to a point where they put the price up too much and they'll lose too many customers. But actually, often we need to test the market and see what the market is willing to take. And I think Brilliant. that's the bit that I'm seeing at the moment. At the moment, I'm willing to take that increase in Netflix. It keeps me and my, ha- my ha- family happy. Job done. Well,
1: I, I'll go one step further. They're pro- you're talking about a price increase, but you, you, you haven't sort of put it into any perspective. So let's say I know, is it $8 in Australia, $9 in Australia? I'm not going to turn it off if they put it to $9.50. Okay. And that is pretty close to what? Five or 6% increase. And they've done nothing. They've just thrown that in. Imagine throwing that into a cash flow story when you're talking about billions of dollars. I was going to increase my price by 5%. That's huge. That's huge. But that, and to talk about what you said, agreed. So why don't we actually, and this is what I do, part of the excellence in the sales training, so your sales team and training sales team. Okay, guys, you're going to lose some sales. No problem. Let's put our prices up 3% and work out what, what that range is that we can actually afford. And you'd be surprised. A 1% dip in sales or volume because you put your price increase up actually doesn't, and most of the time it doesn't really happen, but we can afford it. We can afford it. And let me give you a little byproduct. And this is something I actually ran back to the guys at Cashflow Story and asked them and said, we've never looked at it this way, but you might be right. Imagine putting your price up, but your volume sort of decreases. So everything's sort of holding at the top line. And by definition, if your volume decreases and price goes up, your cost of goods sold starts to decline. In other words, you're spending less on your product to, to deliver the service or the, or the raw materials to deliver the product. So then what happens is you're making more profit ultimately, okay? I'm making more profit on less sales, right? You're getting a better return on your assets. So let's say it's you've gone now from... 8% bottom line, same sales or whatever it is, whatever the numbers look like. But you end up, end up at like 10%, 11%, 12% profit. When you start breaking through the 9%, 10% profit, remember I said to you, let's go to market and see what we can get on a, our, our profit at three times value. But when someone sees 11%, 12%, they're going to start paying three and a half, four 4%. Four times, sorry. So you've actually smashed through a massive barrier in two ways. And so then I went back and I said, Is this what's happening? I said, Yeah, you're right. Because we're not seeing the cash was growing and growing, profit was staying the same. And what was happening was, as profit was growing through these different um, pulling of the levers and, in particular, dropping volume and increasing price, cash was going up, profit was staying the same, but the top line was dropping. So I was making more profit from less sales, which gave me that 10, 11, 12, 13% bottom line. At that level, a buyer is looking at going, this is three and a half. This is four times now profit. So I think I think what's really interesting in, in what we've spoken about today, and using cash flow story, is when you use it well, you can really set up the first quarter of strategy and have an immediate impact on the business. Yeah, yeah. Then what you need to do is say, I want to go harder on this. I don't want one or two percent price increase. I don't want one one percent cost of goods sold increase. Jonathan, what are the five-year plans we can build around hitting all those levers? And so price, we've said, let's do dives into the customer and make it impossible for them to leave us. Let's get in lean experts around production. Let's talk better management or better supply, um, have better supply conversations with our suppliers. What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? What can we improve to make your life easier yeah
0: yeah what are we doing about
1: excellence within our team our people our culture because we all know that um, a high highly engaged team delivers significantly higher and it's research has proved this significant significantly higher results so you've got this sort of long term that we can start working on and we've got short term
0: and that's the beauty of SCU Coaches. We can bring all that in yeah. at any point in time. So, so, so there's a couple of things I just want to pick up on there because I think some of the key bits you mentioned there. The first one, let's go back to this profit margin story. So, so originally, we're just increasing profit margin and we're getting a percentage or two increase. But the key bit there is there's a break point, a bit of a tipping point, as, as we talked about in the past. Um, was that Mark, Malcolm Gladwell tipping point? Um, Talking about that tipping point in time. So what you are saying is when we get over the 10% mar- profit margin, Actually, 11, 12, 13, actually, people are willing to pay a higher multiple for business. Yeah, actually, what's going on people. here? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So actually, this it's is a good business they're looking at. Yeah. And it's got some longevity to it. So actually, we've got that as one thing. We've then got the, the view that actually, we can do the basics in the first quarter with companies to get them evened out. But then saying, okay, then let's look further on down the line and work out, okay, how do we better understand the customer? How do we understand what they really want from us? How do we understand what they're willing to pay for a product? How do we understand the little levers that we can pull to give them more of what they want and delivering full service? And then the bit here is behind the scenes, looking at cost of goods sold, you know, slickening up a business, making the bringing lean, making sure the business works like a dream, oiling every little cog to make it just smooth through the transactions supplier compensation love that going back to the customers sorry going back to the suppliers to say to them how do we make your life easier how do we set up our invoices to be easy to pay and then the final bit you mentioned then was that excellence in the team and i think that's the key bit we've talked about people and strategy and execution coming together if we get a team that's working well they buy into your strategy they buy into your purpose of the business they want to be with you they're also that you we talk about a players these are a players in the business because these are the ones who make the business work And we know that we're willing to pay them more to do that as well. So I was having a conversation earlier with Don Monkhouse about this, about if you can get customers in your business who come back time and time again, they're coming back because your employees are giving them a better service. So if you're in a restaurant, for example, and you've got regular guests who come back in time and time again, often they're doing it for two reasons. One is the food's really good. The other one is the service they get is really good. And if you're getting them coming back and they're willing to pay more, say we could pay our employees in the restaurant more because we're know we getting better service for them. And therefore, we can attract better talent into us. So what I'm hearing there, actually, we're building a strategy of doing all of these things, people, strategy, execution, and it drives cash ultimately. But the key bit, it drives valuation in the business. So when you come to sell your business one day, your business is worth more than it was before you started working on it. So there's a lovely story there. I'm just hearing as we say that. Does that make sense? Yeah.
1: Oh, you, you couldn't have said it any better. And so I think I'd love to finish off by saying, how does it physically work? Well, you, you get your numbers, you throw them into cash flow story. A report comes out, a bit of a health check. It comes out with the power of one. It's got a report around sustainability, that profit um, versus working capital needs. And then you sit in the room and you go, right, what do we want to strive for on the quarter? Okay. And then what I haven't mentioned is, is, As coaches, we use an exercise called the the pace, which is our process accountability chart. What I like to do that I love this this exercise at this point, and I don't use the sheet, the worksheet that most coaches use. I use sticky notes and I start with, I pretty much start with marketing because whether you like it or not, someone's doing some form of marketing in a business to arrange a sale, to have a sale come in. Whether it's a sign on the wall, or whether it's someone knocking on a door and uh, you know ringing up saying so can I have the point with you, there is some marketing. So we follow the money trail: marketing into sales, into handing over to production or service, deliver the product, into um, uh, account or into the accounts department, then into handover. You know all those. So they're all the little things. Then I say, right, who's in marketing? And normally, if it's a smaller company, we you know a bigger company might have a marketing seat. A smaller a smaller company just might have Two or three salesmen that go out and knock on doors. So it's all right, you're in marketing, you're in, you're in marketing, great. And by the way, because you're in sales, let's join together. You can influence what? You can influence price, you can influence volume. Okay, they're the two that I want you to understand in this company. Then we get across to the guys in um, production, the delivery side of the, the product or service. Right, you can influence cost of goods sold. And as you're going through this, you're writing down the physical numbers that it equates to. So if it's it's a hundred thousand cash per one percent or a hundred thousand profit one percent, we're writing that down under the sticky note of the of the actual one, the owner of that seat or that that step in the process, I should say, together with the the process itself. So you've got three sticky notes now lined up. Then you get across to the delivery, and then you get across to the accounts person. And I like to have a bit of a review. That's our meetings on Monday morning, whatever that looks like. Could be a project review or or a, um, a sales you know, sales meeting to go through stuff, all of that, we line it all up. Then what we say is, guys, we want to hit this 1% improvement this quarter. How can we do it? And suddenly you go through, again, marketing. Well, you know what? We're not hitting, not, not knocking on the right doors or we're not doing this properly. We're not getting enough qualified leads. Sales, are you doing enough phone calls? Are you doing enough of this? Production, how are you going in your cost of goods sold that we're going to focus on? I need you to find 1% leaky bucket this month. What is it? You know what? Our CRM's not up to scratch. Our software and management's not great. Can you get a lean expert? At least give us an intro into it. You might pick up one or two little things straight away. Not a long, we might go for a long-term project, but for this quarter, let's have a chat to them and see what they recommend. And we're now plugging in little bits and pieces to attack the first quarter. Accounts, you're way out with your, your accounts. You say, why? What's going on? Well, you know what, Joe, she, Joe left and, you know, I've found it difficult. Right. Okay. What do you need? Let's get a junior in to help you. Or maybe we can get a graduate in from some accounting school. And then, you know, how's our financial, how's our meetings going afterwards? Our, what I call the bit of the review, how are they going? What are we learning from the week that we can bring back to the start and start doing things better and better? So everyone understands the numbers that are in their department, in their process, everybody's now putting up their hand and saying, I wanna see this, this will help me improve it. And before you know, and Phil, you know this as well as everyone, one of the key elements to holding and bringing A player to the table is a, a seat at the table, at the strategy table. You all of a sudden are building your team as well. You're getting eight or nine people in the room going, this is what I think we can do to fix it. And making sure that the facilitator, normally myself, of course, is emphasizing that nobody is wrong. We're just gonna put them in the order that's more important, that's all. And before you know it, you've got this team that's buzzing. It's listened to, it's heard. They've got they've got their hand up, they're allowed to talk. No one's knocking them. They're giving them the chance to be who they wanna be. And what a great team you're starting to put together.
0: I love, I love that. And, and, and so, so, you know, that pace, you can see how that comes alive. So process accountability, people get clear yeah. on their process. They get clear on who, they, who their owner is. They get clear on the number. And then you delve into, okay, what needs to be done in each of those areas? And they go away with some, we come back to that word rocks again, come back to their rock for their quarter, work on it. It reminds me of, you know, if we think about British Olympic cycling years ago, we talked about marginal gains. We talked about, you know, will it boat make the boat go faster from a British rowing point of view? When we came to the Olympics in Sydney, we wanted to look at how do we improve every bit of the boat? And if it didn't make the boat go faster, we didn't do it. But the key was marginal gains. And I think the bit there is, you know, saying, how do we hit 1% improvement?" in each one of these areas? How do we improve marketing and sales and product delivery and accounting? Every little bit helps to drive to the next layer. And that's the bit we're getting people owning their process, wanting to do something with it. And actually you start building up your plan of strategy for the next quarter and we're monitoring it time and time again. So lovely story coming together there.
1: And we can actually do that in three hours. So imagine turning
0: around, and saying, I'll tell you what,
1: I'm gonna come into your business, I'm gonna improve your valuation in three hours. That's the power of Cashflow Story, the software that us as, as scaling up Coaches have got access to. And you don't have to do the full bucket, we'll come back, let's just start with this, have a look at it all, Start with this and then we'll come back and, and start working on the full package as a whole to engage everybody. But wow, what a kickoff for the first quarter.
0: Yeah, love that, love that. So a whole we've, we've talked about lots and lots of things here and I think this, this valuation is the key bit because that's the bit we bring. And, and I always talk about more time, less stress, more money, more fun. But actually the more money is key, but actually you're going to make your business less stressful. It's going to be more fun to work in it. You're going to have more fun to do other things and you make more run, money as a, lot, as a long-term product from that. But just think what you could do all that time when you created in your business that's now working. You could choose to go off and play golf for a weekend if you're a business owner, or you could choose to invest that back in the business. But it's a choice you have to make on your own if you choose to. That's the key from this. Yeah, and I think it
1: goes hand in hand. I'd, I'd be surprised if you didn't get more time with your improving evaluation because to improve evaluation, you've got to implement best practices. And be implementing best practices, the, con- the result will be, there has to be more time somewhere
0: it's a fun it's a more fun place people want to work with you and you can attract the better talent from it so so i love that so look we're we're going to wrap up in a second i've got one question here and i always ask this question here uh, to 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 people when i come on the podcast and the, the, the the question is what advice would you give to the younger jonathan before he's starting out in his career or in his business what's the bit of advice you would say hey this is what you need to think about mate to make your life in the future easier what would it be On the business level
1: or on the home front?
0: (laughs) Hey, look, okay, let's start on let's start on the business level. We can do the home front as well. On the business level,
1: clearly having this knowledge now. I mean, I didn't, I probably, I mean, I've been an entrepreneur, but I thought I was just going to work each day and I'll just make it happen. What I've learned is you can never learn enough, you can never read enough, you can never listen to enough podcasts, you can never listen to enough audio books and learn, learn, learn. Scaling up has taught me that there are hundreds of books out there that are great. You know, I've mentioned Um, uh, I've mentioned uh, Zappos at Delivering Happiness. You know, that's one of my new favourites. So, you know, imagine 20 years ago if I knew that differential activities can be in the form of, sorry, can can be all around something that's got nothing to do with your product or your service. And I think education is the key. Um, I would please come and challenge me if you think I'm wrong. The cash flow story and financial excellence would be what? one, two, three, four 4% if we're lucky in businesses around the world. This is next level. This is top level. This is the stuff that I'd want to know 20 years ago about the relationships, the leaky buckets, and, and then incorporating that into a team environment and getting the best out of your team through through that process chart in three hours, what we can do. And so learning about people, I think, I think people is... You know, I like to say a good culture and a good, a good culture and a good group of people lead strategy for breakfast. And I've read a few books lately that are saying the history of some companies where the, the new owners came in and they just said, we're not doing anything in the strategy page until we know we've got the right people. Because the right people drive good strategy and they create good strategy. So people is an integral part of running a business in my mind.
0: I love that i love that so so actually the key there is actually learn, learn more early on and, yeah. actually understand and then, relationships.
1: and then i think also on a home front um home front just enjoy you've got to learn to let go don't you you do learn to, and and i remember times when and it took me a long time to do this but i remember the times when i wouldn't let go and I'd come home and then i realized one day that i was unfair to my kids i've got three had three young kids at the time and all I want is dad. They don't understand what's going on at work and, and the pressures and how paying the home loan and paying the electricity tonight. And they just want dad. So I think I, I would have loved to have gone back and told myself, and I did work it out, which was great news. But when I'm driving home from work, that was a time that I needed to tell myself to be a dad, stop being an entrepreneur and be a dad, be a father, be a family member and enjoy their time because that goes so quickly. So. And that's a lot of advice I give to people. And the final piece, which merges it all together beautifully, and Vern talks about this a lot, I'm absolutely convinced that you do your best work after 50. So don't be afraid to learn, live, and and hit a point where you go, okay, I think I've got enough now to even move forward, even if I'm 50. And you think, oh, wow, life's starting to pass me by. But no, you do your best work then.
0: I love that. And, and I love that. And as someone who's turned 51 last year, I actually think actually, yeah, we get, we get better and better and better as we go on. So actually learn and live and do best work. That's a great one. And that king about family, you know, at the end of the day, w- when we talk about a one page personal plan, actually, I put personal family first. In fact, I put fitness first because I believe if I can be fit and healthy, I can support my family better, but they go very closely hand in hand because I believe family's first business comes third in my world because actually you've got to be fit, you've got to be healthy and you've got to have a family around you because that's my world on it. Um, so I love what you're saying there. Jonathan, it's been great talking to you. I think we've had a great story here and, and and I love it because actually we were telling the story of cash. We were looking at how it goes through a business. Um, there's probably another podcast in here for us to talk about more detail of some of these things. So at some stage, I think me and you need to hook at up. At some stage, that? yeah. Other things. are always available. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Um,
1: but you know uh, you know what we say down here in australia that we're going to play you in sport we'll we'll punch you we'll hit you we'll kick you we'll spit on you but i promise you we'll book the taxi
0: to go and have a beer with you so (laughs) love working with you guys (laughs) i I love it i love it. that's been great thank you and um enjoy the rest of your evening go and see your family and um i look forward to hooking up soon to carry on this conversation jonathan thank you pleasure it's been great being here thanks phil I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as I've enjoyed recording it. This is just one of the great conversations I've had the privilege of being part of since I started recording the Sparks by podcast. So please go back and listen to some of the others. There's some great content in there for some great contributors. And also while you're at it, please leave a review of this show with your comments because that helps other people like you find this content. And we want to bring about the change that we really know matters to people. It helps us grow. And also, think about what actions you want to take, because there's no point just listening passively. We want you to pick it up and do something with it. So what are the three key things you want to do? Well, I can't hold you accountable, but if you want to, drop me a note, at igniumconsult.com. We're always keen to listen to what you have to say, and actually introduce guests to us that you think will bring relevance to other people. We wish you well? Give us a call. Let us know what you think. Give us a review. Thank you.